We'll be reading the, the closing in the letter to Titus. I'm a little bit sad that we're ending this time in Titus. It had a bigger effect on my life than I thought it would. I know that sounds crazy to say. Scripture is always supposed to affect us, but I've really been affected by the letter to Titus and by the continued repeated theme of being devoted to good works and so adorn the doctrine of God in how we live. And and it's really challenged me in my own life and thinking about how am I living? How am I adorning the doctrine of grace? How am I working to shine forth the glory, the grace of God? So turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 3. We'll be reading the closing portion of the letter. And as we read this closing portion, you might be like me. Maybe you normally, as you're reading through uh, letters in the Bible, you might just skim over that, right? This is the, you have the greeting, you have the end, those are compulsory. Well, not really. See, we believe that, that every part of God's Word is inspired, actually God-breathed, breathed out by God, by His Spirit, and is profitable for instruction and for training in righteousness. And we actually have a lot to see here and a lot to learn here from Paul, even in this closing portion of the letter. So let's read the closing, realizing God is breathing out and he's speaking to us through through this normal means of communication. So this is God's holy inspired word. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you communicate to us in a very real means through real people who lived their lives in very normal ways. God, you communicated your words to us through the Apostle Paul who lived his life in relationships with other people, who lived his life for you, but lived it relatively normally even though he did abnormal things. God, thank you for communicating to us through these closing words from Paul to a dear friend. God, would we receive these words to us as your words to us, Lord? You have made us friends. You have brought us near. God, may we receive this as your letter to us, not just Paul's letter to Titus back then, but your letter to us today. May we hear your heart. God, I pray that you would make these words effective. I pray that you would Open up our ears and our hearts and minds so we might all receive from you. And God, may we walk away changed so we might bear fruit for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you think about it, Paul, he lived in a very different time in a lot of ways than us. You know, he he didn't have a phone that he could look at the time with. He didn't have the internet. He didn't have radio. He didn't have mass communications. There weren't all kinds of means at his disposal to communicate the gospel. He had simple means. He had letter writing. When he wanted to communicate to people he knew, he would write a letter. And it might be a long time before that letter got to them. 
And then it might be a long time until it came back. And then if you wanted to talk to somebody, they couldn't just say, hey, come on over. You send them a letter. It might be a few weeks or months before it got to them and a few months later until they were able to come over. And so what we see here is, is Paul's communication to Titus. He's about to send some people to replace Titus. Titus is finding out that he's going to be replaced there in the church. And, and when, when they come, he's to go and join with Paul. And so not only do we see some communication, how Paul's communicating in normal relationships we see that he actually communicates, the gospel is communicated through relationships, and that's important for us to see too, that the gospel is communicated through relationships. That's, that's the most effective way the gospel is communicated. And even in that day, if you think about it, you would wonder, how in the world did the gospel spread so dramatically? It spread like wildfire. 30 years earlier, hardly anybody had heard of Jesus outside of Palestine. Now, 30 years later, there are churches all throughout the whole Mediterranean basin, and they have all heard about it through relationships, the slow way of communicating. And, and not only have they heard about the gospel through relationships, they've seen the gospel lived out in daily lives in, in how people live. They saw the testimony of transformed lives. And then they experienced the grace of God. So what we see here is, is there's gospel relationships happening we see gospel fruit is being born and encouraged, and then we see the grace of the gospel being demonstrated. That's how the world was changed. That's how the world continues to be changed as the good news about Jesus Christ is communicated through relationships, as fruit is born, as God's grace is shared. And, and that's really what we see in this little closing portion here. We, we see those all three things here. Paul has been transformed. I want you to put yourself in Paul's shoes. He is a man now. He's an old man. He's been transformed by the good news about Jesus. Everything changed. Everything changed. He was a persecutor of Christians. We knew that from the very beginning when we first talked about the letter to Titus. He's a persecutor of Christians. He hated Christians and he was being hated. And yet God arrested him. God changed him. God gave him his grace, and he then understood that the grace of God has appeared and brought salvation to him personally. And because of that, it changed his whole life and what he was living for. And now what we see here, 30 years after Paul has become a believer, or probably even a little bit more than that, is Paul is devoted to God. He's devoted to Jesus. Everything about his life has changed. Everything about his life has to do with Jesus. And as he's ending here, even his relationships have to do with Jesus. How he communicates with people has to do with Jesus. How he wants to see fruit born in the church is because he wants everybody to know Jesus. And when he's passionate about and greeting people with the grace of God, it's because he deeply is devoted to Christ in everything. That's meant to be the effect. That is the effect of all those who've been truly born again. See, God saves us. He rescues us so that we might be devoted to him. And it changes all of our life. It changes everything. It changes our relationships. It changes what we, what we do in life. It changes how we can bear fruit now for God. And it changes how we communicate about God and how we communicate his grace now. Once we were God-haters, now God has not only changed us, and he's given us godly relationships, and he's, he's made us a part of his family, but he's enabled us to bear fruit where once we could never bear fruit for him, and then now we get to communicate grace, where only before we could communicate hatred. And, and that's what we see. We see three things. We see that Paul is devoted. We, so we, what we're going to learn here from this little snippet 
This little portion, this little closing of the letter is a devoted life. A life devoted to the gospel. It's a life that's devoted to gospel relationships. And that's what we see Paul's talking about, gospel relationships. He has a, he's, a, he's a life, he's devoted to God. He's devoted, devoted to the gospel, and he's devoted to gospel relationships. He also wants the church to bear fruit. So he's devoted not only personally, but he, and thinking about, he's devoted to fruit of the gospel. And then the third thing we'll see is that he's devoted to communicating the grace of the gospel. That's what a devoted life, a life devoted to the gospel results in. It results in someone who's devoted to gospel relationships, gospel fruit, and gospel grace. The first thing we see in in, in the very outset is these gospel relationships that Paul has. He's devoted to gospel relationships. When I was a kid, I used to watch a show. I can't endorse it. I have to have a little disclaimers here to begin with. Is that okay? We all have watched things we're not so proud of, but you know what? We can learn from lots of different things. And so when I was a kid, um, you know, I wasn't allowed to watch the Smurfs, by the way, because that was, you know, that was evil, Gargamel or something like that. I'm not sure why. Um, go talk to my, my dad. He's still alive. So, um, but I could watch shows like, you know, Cheers. And, you know, that was okay. Cheers was okay. Life in a bar and all these terrible relations, broken lives, broken relationships. Somehow that was okay. Gargamel was evil. But, but Cheers was okay. And I'm not, I'm not endorsing Cheers, but... You know, one of the reasons why it was such a big hit this is because, not because it was good, it was centered around like a lot of bad behavior in a bar in Boston, but it was all about relationships. People were drawn to the show because all these, all these people every week, they would get together on your TV and they would have relationships and work through the difficulties in life, but they were there for each other. You know, even the theme song, you remember the, remember the theme song? Anybody remember the theme song? I think that's stuck in your head. I'm, I'm going to read it to you, so... Making your way in the world today takes everything you got. Taking a break from all your worries, it sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see the troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. You want to go where people, the people are all the same. You want to go where everybody knows your name. Okay, I'm sorry about that. I apologize now. So I've probably gotten that song stuck in your head now if you are over 40, at least. If you're under 40, you're probably looking at me like, what in the world is Cheers? And I'm sorry for that now because you're going to go home and Google it. Um, So just don't Google it now, okay? If you have a phone, cut that off. Don't be tempted. Don't start Googling what is Cheers. Um, That we were drawn to the show because it was all about these relationships, but you know, in the end, the relationships didn't last. And a lot of the relationships were really a mess. But there's something in us that we, we desire to relate to other people. God gave us that desire to relate to other people. God gave us a desire to be known. But the problem is, in, in a bar environment, in the world's environment, you can't truly be known. You can, you can only partially be known. Because we can't be real with people to some degree. But you know, God saved us and he liberated us so that it changes even the way we relate to each other at a fundamental level. And he gives us relationships that are more secure than hanging out in a bar and drinking together. He gives us relationships that are based in the gospel, that are based in being transformed. Now, not only are we all friends, which we might not all be friends, but we are all now brothers and sisters. Anybody who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ are brothers and sisters, family. And the kind of family 
that, that doesn't break up. The kind of family that one day we're all going to be in a family reunion and we'll all be okay with each other. Right? And even if we have problems here on earth, this is a family that will never go away. There won't be marriage in heaven, but you know what? There will still be brothers and sisters in heaven. We'll still be brothers and sisters with each other. And Paul here, he is transformed. And I want you to think about who's writing this. He is a Pharisee or was a Pharisee. He was an arrogant Pharisee, this sacrosanct man who separated himself from Gentiles and and believed in all these purity laws. That's who Paul used to be. What happened? He received the grace of God appeared to him. Now, it appeared to him in reality. Jesus, the grace of God appeared to him, and it transformed his life, and it transformed how he relates to other people. And now he's writing to a Gentile. Not only is he associated with a Gentile, this Gentile is a partner of his. He's partnering together in the gospel. Gospel relationships have resulted from his devotion to God. And they partner together. He's partnering together with Titus. And not only that, he's got all these other words. Um, He's got a friend, Artemis. He's named after a Greek god. We don't know anything about Artemis. We we know he's named after a Greek god. A a good Jew would not hang out with a dude who's named after a Greek god. He's he's hanging out with Tychicus. He wants him to spend Zenus. Again, named after another Greek god, a lawyer. And if he can make a Pharisee want to hang out with a Gentile lawyer, God can resolve any relationship. And then he, he wants Apollos to come. Apollos, this great order, who before people in Corinth were saying, I'm of Apollos because he was such a great speaker and Paul was not. But yet he, Apollos is dear to him. You see, the gospel has given him close relationships that are not based on preference, but are based all on the, the common bond that we share in Jesus Christ. And that's, that's what he intends for the church. That's what he intends for every believer. Paul was single, but he wasn't alone. He was writing this letter, and you see here what comes out is, is his devotion to gospel relationships, and he's devoted to them. He's devoted to Titus. He wants Titus to come. He wants this Gentile guy to come to him in Nicopolis. He wants to, to, send, <clears throat> to send other people to gospel ministry. He wants to make sure that Zenos and Apollos are provided for. That, that they're, He's talking about financial provision, practical provision, food, lodging, all the like. He wants to make sure they're provided for. And it's, it's all these relationships centered around the gospel. And that's, that's why he wants Titus to come to him in Nicopolis. Nicopolis, it was a port city on the west coast of Greece. It was probably 200 miles almost exactly across from the Via Appia, the, the, the road that goes to Rome in Italy. It was a strategic port. Paul was wanting to go there because it was a little safe haven for him in the wintertime, but it was really strategic because a lot of people would go there in the wintertime as a safe haven, and he could communicate the gospel, and he wanted, he wanted Titus to be there with him. Everything Paul did was, was centered around the gospel. Even his relationships were centered around the gospel. And so he says, Titus, do your best. Do your best. His relationship was so dear. Titus, do your best to come to me. You are dear to me. You are important to me. Do your best to come. And then do your best. These relationships with Zenos and Paulus, do your best to support them, to, to make sure they are successful and fruitful in ministry. 
one of the effects of the gospel transforming our lives is we want to see others fruitful in gospel ministry. That's what we see Paul here. He's wanting Zenos and Paulus to be sent on their way, to be sped on their way, to be fruitful in their gospel ministry. Even in Paul's old age, he's still strategizing. You know, as I get older, um, I have a tendency to want to slow down. You, you, ever, you ever want to slow down? Just take it easy a little bit? That's not Paul. His focus might shift. His abilities physically might shift. And I bet they did, by the way. He was old. He had a thorn in the flesh. He was not known to be physically, you know, great looking and and have great abilities. But he still had a great passion for the gospel. And that passion for the gospel fueled this gospel relationships that he had. And he was still strategizing. How do we, in our relationships, demonstrate the gospel? How do we communicate the gospel? How, how can we make sure that people are positioned in places where they can be most affected? How can we support each other in communicating the gospel? How can we make sure that people are provided for? He was single, never married, but he was not alone. And he was fruitful, and he was encouraging others to bear fruit as well. And he carries out his work in ministry with a team of people who are also committed to doing gospel work. God has placed, if you are a part of this church, God has placed you in this church for a reason. It's, it's so that in our relationships, we might demonstrate the gospel by how we relate to each other. How we relate to each other is meant to change and does change. You see, there is an affection, a bond that is created when we are born again, brought into a family of God that is meant to show in how we care for one another, how we relate to each other, how we want to see others positioned for success in in ministering the gospel, how we want to care for our fellow believers and our affection and devotion for them. And he says, greet those who love us. Church, I am glad that when when I look out here at our church, when I think about the people in our church, there is a marked devotion to gospel relationships. And that's the fruit of the gospel. You know, one of, the, one of the biggest things that people share of, hey, you know what was attractive about the church when I first came is that people seem to really want to, want to love each other. Now, we don't do it perfectly. We mess up. I mess up. We all mess up. But we need to be devoted. And, we, and thanks, thanks be to God, we are devoted to gospel-oriented relationships. That's why we care for each other. That's why we get together. That's why we want to see each other successful and say, hey, how can I support you in the ministry that God's given to you? That's why we get together in small groups. That's, that's what God has done is he wants to build these, these relationships to help us be more effective for the gospel. And then in the context of verse 14, most likely Paul wants Titus to, to bear fruit and to support them to speed Zenos and Apollos on by probably by mobilizing the church to help provide for them. He says, he says to them in, in verse 13, he says, do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. He's talking about physical needs. And there's a brother and sister in Christ in your midst, and they have needs. Paul is saying, I want you to do your best to help them fulfill the ministry God's called them to do and help them with these practical needs. See that they lack nothing. No, no food, no money, no, none of those things. And most likely he wants to help have the church help do that because he says, let our people learn, in verse 14, let our people learn to devote themselves. He's keenly aware that, that others are needed for the work of ministry, and so he's devoted to gospel relationships. He can't do it alone. He can't go it alone. 
One of the things I want every small group, that we want every small group in the church to be thinking about is how can we not only do good works, but then how can we proclaim the gospel through good works and then in deeds? How do we do that? And we need each other to do that. And we have to work together. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to say, okay, how can I be a gospel witness? Well, I need your help. I need your help. I need you to help me do this. And we need, we need to be effective because we want to bear fruit. So Paul is devoted to Jesus. He's devoted to gospel relationships. And we also see he's devoted to gospel fruit. Look, look in verse 14. He's devoted to gospel fruit. He says, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. That's not a negative way of saying that he wants the people to be fruitful. He, because the gospel of God's grace has, to, has changed him, he's, he's devoted his whole life to the gospel. And so because of that, our lives are devoted to bearing fruit for him so that other people can see the fruit, eat the fruit, and give glory to God. I love that he, he uses the language of fruit. Now, in the last couple of weeks, we've been doing a little yard work at home, not just here, but at, at, at our house, doing some yard work and putting some mulch out. It's that time of year, and we have a tree on the corner of the house. Not a tree, but a big bush. It's, it's gigantic now. I planted it about two or three years ago. I planted this little fig tree, and it's gotten to be about, I don't know, 10 or 12 feet wide and about eight, eight or nine feet high, but it's, and it's got all these great, big, beautiful leaves all over the place. But now the third, second or third year in a row, it's got no fruit on it. I don't know how many years it's going to take, but it doesn't have any fruit. And so I was thinking the other day, like, what's the point of this fig tree? Why, why do we even have it? It, should, it takes up a lot of space, but, you know, I, we could do something else. We have something pretty here in our gardenia that just smells amazing, you know, one of those wonderful bushes that just kind of continues to provide flowers and beauty. And the fig tree is not very beautiful. It's kind of ugly, this thing that's kind of all over the place, and there's no, there's no fruit on it. I love figs. I don't, I, I'm not the biggest fan of fig trees. It, it's not bearing fruit. It was made to bear fruit. It's, its fruit is meant to be enjoyed. If it's just taking up space, another shrub could fill in, Right? And so either it needs to produce fruit or show some kind of beauty, and right now it's doing neither. In our lives, Paul's saying, hey, I don't want the church to be unfruitful. Why? Because when you bear fruit, it's a blessing to other people. When you bear fruit, other people can taste of the goodness of God through you bearing fruit. Your fruit is not for you. Your fruit is to be born so others might eat the fruits that God has produced in you and might so glorify God and see, you know what? God's done a work in them. Man, I want that. And so Paul says, let our people learn to devote themselves. So, you know, I'm going to give my fig tree a little bit more time. I'm probably going to prune it back in the, in the late winter time, whatever I'm supposed to do. And then hopefully it will, it will learn to produce fruit. But we need to learn... Paul says, let our people learn. Let our people learn by doing. Let them learn to devote themselves to good works. It doesn't come automatically. It doesn't just happen. You don't just say, okay, well, I'm just going to do good works. You have to learn how to devote yourself. And, And church, he's been talking all about devoting ourselves to good works all throughout the letter to Titus. That's a major theme in Titus is being zealous for good works. A fruit of the gospel of being devoted to Jesus is that we're devoted to producing fruit for Jesus. We're devoted to producing fruit for Jesus. 
You know, it reminds me of the Garden of Eden. God had planted a garden and created every kind of good fruit that you can imagine in this garden. And he put man and woman in this garden to tend the garden, but he put man and woman there to enjoy the garden. We were supposed to enjoy the garden, to enjoy the fruits. We were supposed to enjoy that. And you know why the enjoyment was there? The enjoyment prior to the fall. It's good to enjoy good things. It's good to enjoy fruits. I'm glad for that because I enjoy dark chocolate. And we can give glory to God. These, These fruits in the garden, all the good that God had given them, it was meant to draw their attention to God. To give glory to God when they bit into... I don't know, a juicy pear or an apple, whatever, whatever the fruits were that they had, when they, when they bit into that fruit, they were meant to say, oh, wow, this is so good. God, you've created these things. Thank you for what you've done. And it was actually meant to, to draw their attention to glorifying God. And, and that's kind of like when the Bible tells us that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. It's a good gift meant to be enjoyed to what? To point our attention back to God. And so Paul uses that same language here when he talks about fruit. Why? Because trees are meant to bear fruit so that others can enjoy the fruit and give glory to God. This is not, you must bear fruit. No, it says we get to bear fruit so others can taste the goodness of God, so others can, can actually participate and enjoy the goodness of God and say, whoa, I'm enjoying these fruits. Look at what God has done. Look at what God has given us. And so... He says, learn to devote themselves to good works so they can help in cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Jerome Quinn, in his commentary, he says, the tree itself has no use for its fruit. The latter is meant to support the life of others. So the fraternal charity of the Cretan Christians helps sustain the life and missionary work of others for Christ and his church. Let me read that again. The tree itself has no use for its fruit. The latter is meant to support the life of others. And it's meant to actually have others as well taste and see the goodness of God. That's, that's why Paul, he says, I don't want them to be unfruitful. What a waste that would be to have trees that don't bear fruit. How do we bear fruit? What's Paul say here? You bear fruit by being devoted, devoted here to the gospel. By being devoted to bearing gospel fruit. How do we we bear gospel fruit? Devote ourselves to good works. And that's a common theme all throughout the New Testament. Part of the ministry of Christians. Actually, when he says that I want you to go ahead and provide for these men and, and make sure you're providing for cases of urgent need, that people who are urgently in need of hospitality... You know, food, lodging, and the like. That, that was something that was very common. Back in Romans 12, we, we went through the book of Romans last year. In Romans 12, 13, he says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. It's, it's a theme all throughout the Bible. As Christians, we're to work hard. We're to consider not just what God has given us and what we might have ourselves and enjoy ourselves, but hey, God gave us these gifts and this fruit so that we can share it. And he says, always ready for every good work, he tells us earlier in Titus. It was a common trait and expectation in the church in light of Jesus laying down his life for us is that we might say, because Jesus laid down his life for me, I'm going to lay down my life for others. I'm not going to be selfish and keep all the good gifts that God's given to me. I'm actually going to begin to do good works and devote myself to caring for people in need and showing hospitality for urgent needs. 1 John 3 
verse 16, he says, by this we know that he laid down his life for us. How do you know that somebody's life has been transformed by Jesus? It says, by this we know that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but indeed in truth. Saying the same thing. It's all throughout the New Testament. Let's learn how to devote ourselves to good works so that we would be fruitful. Don't you want to bear fruit? You don't want to be a barren tree because you want others to know Jesus, be transformed and changed by him. Everything that Paul was living for, was he was living in response to the transforming grace of God that had changed his life. He was devoted to gospel relationships. He was devoted to bearing gospel fruit. He wanted everybody to bear gospel fruit so that people would be changed by the grace of God. Colossians 1.10, Paul wrote to the church there in Colossae, and he says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Now he's connecting up two things here. He's connecting up good works and fruit right here again. Colossians 1.10, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit. How do we bear fruit? He says, in every good work. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. He's saying to the church both in in, in Colossae and in Crete that, that the Christians learn by practicing and giving themselves to good work and so bear fruit for God. He wants Christians to be fruitful, not unfruitful. The implication is that not learning to devote ourselves to good works, it results in an unfruitful life. But if we devote ourselves helping those in need and learning how to do good works. It results in a fruitful life, a life where people can taste and see that God has changed us and he's bearing good fruit in us. And people say, I want that. This is good fruit. Oh, I want the one who gave me this fruit. I want, I want God. I like the way Dr. Daniel Aiken puts it. He says, good works are a good thing. God ordained that we would do them as a display of his work of art, which we are becoming. I love the way he phrases that. God foreordained that we would do them as a display of his work of art, which we are becoming. You ever think of your life that way? As a work of art, that God is making a work of art to display his glory, to display his goodness. That's how Paul thought of his whole life. That's how he thought of relationships. That's how I thought of everything he did. Now, you might be thinking, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not in full-time Christian ministry. That's good because Aaron and my job is actually to equip you to do the work of ministry. You do the work of ministry as you bear fruit as a teacher, as a student, uh, as a janitor, as a postal worker, as whatever, a massage therapist, a vice president, an engineer, a doctor, a lawyer, whatever, you find yourself in as a retiree, as someone who is staying at home in whatever area you find yourself, with kids, without kids, post-kids, whatever area of life, whatever season of life you find yourself in, you are God's tapestry, if you will. You are his artwork. You are a tree meant to bear fruit for God. And that's part of your work of ministry, that you have a privilege of doing ministry The gospel transforms everything. It transforms our relationships. 
and enables us to bear fruit. Now he says anybody in need. Think about your own relationships. I don't know how it applies practically. Well, think about it. In in your relationships and people you come across on a daily basis, maybe the people you bump into, be looking for those things. Is, Is there... Are there brothers and sisters, first of all, because that's, that's the context here, are there brothers and sisters who are in urgent need? Can I help supply those needs? Can I help actually promote the work of gospel ministry? Zenos and Apollos, they, they are going to do gospel ministry and they want to provide for them. How can I use my resources, my job, what I'm doing to help provide for gospel ministry? One of the ways we do that, giving through into the church. We as a church, we, we want to be able to give, um, we're not there yet, by the way, but we want to be able to give 10% extra locally to church planting, to missions. We want to do that. Why? Because we want to see God doing the work of ministry through others in other places where we can't go. Are we supplying needs? Let's all learn how we can best bear fruit for God in our lives, through our lives, so others might see the grace and kindness of God and give glory to Him. And then the third and the final thing that we see that Paul is devoted to is he's devoted to gospel relationships. He's devoted to bearing gospel fruit because he's been transformed by God. He's, you know, the, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation. And so now we see he's devoted to gospel relationships. He's devoted to bearing gospel fruit. He wants the church to be devoted to those things. But then also we see he's devoted to, to the grace of the gospel. He's devoted to gospel grace. That's all throughout the letter to Titus. You might think a, a, a little letter that mentions good works more, I can't say per capita, but more, more perverse, good deeds are mentioned seven times in a chapter of three letters. I mean, of three, three verses. Okay, I'll try it again. In a letter of three chapters, that's what I meant to say. Good works are mentioned seven times in a little letter of only three chapters. That's a lot. And you might think that that's a legalistic letter. But do you, you remember how Titus began? You can flip over there in your Bibles if you have them with you. Flip over to the beginning of Titus. Titus doesn't begin legalistically. It doesn't end legalistically. The book to Titus, the letter to Titus, it, it begins and it ends with the grace of God. Paul is aware, he is sold out, he's devoted in verse 1 of Titus 1. He's a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's been transformed. He's writing this letter for the sake of the faith of God's elect, their knowledge of the truth. It goes on talking about our hope of eternal life. And then in verse 4, he says, To Titus, my true child, in a common faith, grace and peace. From God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Paul's life has been changed and transformed and he wants others to know the grace and peace of God. He wants others to experience the grace and peace of God. That's why he talks so much about good works in this letter, being zealous to good works, being devoted to good works. Why? He wants others to know the grace and peace of God as well. He begins the letter greeting in verse 4 of chapter 1 saying, grace and peace, Titus. And how does he end here? Grace. Grace be with you all. Look in verse 15. He says, all who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. This is not a cold, hard-hearted letter. This just about do these things to earn God's favors. No. God has transformed us. The grace of God has appeared and brought salvation. It transforms our relationships. It allows us to bear fruit. And then... Like the grace of the gospel is meant to be communicated to others. 
It's meant to be communicated to others. He's devoted to communicating this gospel grace. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in faith. Grace be with you all. This is not just haphazard throwaway words. He is devoted to gospel grace and communicating the grace of the gospel. One of the biggest and most impressive feats, I was looking at old pictures of the area of Nicopolis. I'm kind of a history geek, and so sometimes when I'm studying, I'll get a little carried away and a little sidetracked. And so I was looking at research on Nicopolis and where it was at and what did it look like. And, and, and one of the pictures it was struck by is that there was still this Roman aqueduct standing there. Nicopolis as a city has kind of largely been abandoned. Um, it, it, it was a city, it was called the City of Victory. Uh, Caesar Augustus had established it after Mark Anthony. He had defeated Mark Anthony there, and, and yet he, after that he established these aqueducts to go everywhere. And I was thinking, you know, that was a, one of the major things as a, as a history geek. You know, one of the major accomplishments of, of the Romans was their road systems that could carry goods and services. The other major accomplishment that really changed people's lives was water. They carried aqueducts, clean water to people. That was revolutionary. Now, in our day and age, we, we turn a tap on, we get water, we enjoy it, it's good. But back in that day, they didn't have taps and they didn't always have clean water because a lot of junk was contaminated. And so they had these huge aqueducts. They carried life-giving water. It changed people's lives. And it actually was brilliant because it helped solidify people to see the benefits of being a Roman citizen. People in these far-flung regions of the world They could benefit from and enjoy clean water, and so they liked the Romans more. Paul here, he is, he's an aqueduct. He's carrying God's grace. He's delivering God's grace. Now, he's delivering God's grace along with a call to live by God's grace in the letter to Titus. God's grace, it has a call on our lives. It actually calls us to something. It doesn't just free us to live how we want to live it, but it frees us now to live how God created us to. God's grace calls us to be zealous for good works. But Paul here, he wants to begin the letter and he wants to end the letter as a kind of a channel, this aqueduct of God's grace, because he knows that people are transformed by the grace of God. You know, when he says, you yourselves were once foolish, you were disobedient, you were hating and being hated but now the grace of God has appeared like fresh water bringing salvation. And it changes everything. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation. And now the grace of God, he says, trains us. And he wants to leave us, though. It's not about the works we do for God to impress God. The works we do are all really to point back to the same thing he points back to at the end of his letter. Where does he end? Where does he close? He closes with the grace of God. The grace of the Lord Jesus appeared and we see grace affects our daily lives. It affects how we relate to other people. It affects what we're devoted to. Does it affect what you're devoted to? Has the grace of God changed the relationships that you're in? If not, I'd encourage you go and meditate on the grace of God and let it change your relationships. Has the grace of God resulted in good works in your life? If not, I would encourage you go meditate on the grace of God and then think and learn and train yourself. How do I now show God's grace to other people in good works? Because we want people to experience God's grace. How do I bear fruit? Is my life devoted to God's grace? 
Am, am I an aqueduct of God's grace? Ask yourself, do, do, I, do I carry God's grace to other people? Is that their primary effect that I have on other people is, is to they receive the grace of God so that they would see that there is a ruler, there is an emperor, there is one greater who has created this channel to bring his grace to the world. Christian, do you extend the blessing of grace to everyone you meet? What a privilege it is to bring God's grace to other people through how, within our relationships and, and, and how we bear fruit and, and how we relate to other, other people and how we speak to other people. I love that he greets other people warmly because he has an affection for them. Why? Because he's been transformed by God's grace. And so he blesses people with God's grace. If grace has made a difference in your life, let grace be seen in your life. Let grace be demonstrated. Let grace be communicated in your life. Now, I'm, I'm grateful that we are a church. We strive, we, we try to communicate God's grace. I think that's why people are comfortable when they come here. They feel loved, they feel welcomed, is because we've received God's grace and has transformed lives. But let that continue even more. Let those grace-saturated relationships grow deeper and deeper. You know, we're not there yet in every way. Let the grace of God transform our relationships. Let the grace of God, the gospel of God's grace, let it transform not just relationships, but in what you're living for, what you're devoted to, the fruits you bear, and then in how you communicate as well. Does he make any difference in your life? Is he the reason for living your life like Paul? Does it change everything? Do you know that you believe that Jesus changes everything? Does the grace of God drive you? Does he compel you? Has God reoriented everything? You see, with the appearing of Jesus, that's the effect on a life that's devoted to the gospel. You'll see that devoted life in gospel relationships. You'll see that devoted life in bearing gospel fruit. You'll see that devoted life in being devoted to gospel grace. Each and every person here has been created to adorn the doctrine, the message of God's grace in your life. If you are not a believer, if you've not yet placed your faith in God, you can't do that. And, and, and you, you will be frustrated in life because you will not be living for the purposes that God has called you to, which is ultimately to glorify Him, and you are separated from God, and you can't relate to God. The first place you need to start is by receiving the grace of God, not earning favor from God, but saying, God, I can't, I can't be good enough. I can't do good enough. Lord, I repent. I've sinned against you. I've rebelled against you. I need to be forgiven. Lord, would you give me your grace? And then God, by his grace, transforms. For, if you, for believers here, our lives are meant to display the grace of God. The world is lost. You know, we can be equally as effective as the Apostle Paul was in communicating through his, what we might see as primitive means in relationships, in fruit bearing, in grace communicating. You want to see the world change and set on fire? You know, the gospel of God's grace, it spreads like wildfire as, it, as it's seen in lives that are transformed, living for him, devoted to him, communicating God's grace. And don't you want to live like that? Don't you want the community around you to be inspired and see God and be transformed by Jesus? You can, you can have the same effect the Apostle Paul did. He wasn't a superhuman. He was endowed superhumanly by the Holy Spirit. But you know what? It's the same Holy Spirit you have. 
That's really cool. And by the way, the same Holy Spirit that Jesus had. You've been given the same grace. Paul, he might have been a better writer, a better preacher, a better apostle than any of us ever will be, but he didn't have a better grace, a better gospel, a better spirit. He had the same gospel, the same spirit, the same grace of God that we have. I want you to be encouraged, be stirred up by that. Think, hang on. I might have been living complacently. Maybe you have been complacent in your life. Maybe you've been not been bearing fruit. Maybe you haven't been devoted to the gospel. And you say, you know what? Let me repent of that. Let me live my whole life devoted to God. Let me live my whole life devoted to gospel relationships, devoted to bearing gospel fruit, to communicating the truth, the grace of the gospel, so that others might see Jesus and experience his grace too. I should be cheering right now, by the way. I mean, come on. You know, that I want to go where everybody knows my name speaks to the desire to be known and loved, not alone. Well, we're not alone. Jesus loves us, and he's not left us alone. He's given us a people. He's given us a family to be a part of where we can know and know others, and those relationships can be transformed, and where together we can, we can live out the lives that bear fruit and extend his grace. What a privilege. Amen? Well, let's... Close in prayer, and I'll have the band go ahead and come up. If you could do the first song that you did at the very beginning of the set. I don't know what the very first song you opened with this morning was. I can't remember the name of that, but I think it's very applicable here of worshiping God for his grace.